All right, we're going to bow in prayer, and we'll be opening up into Colossians 3. Lord, we just thank you for this time we've had to worship you in song, and we ask you to be with us now as we look to your word and see what you would have us to learn from your word. And we just thank you in your son's name. Amen. All right, so we've been in Colossians 3 now for several weeks. <laughs> uh, we talked about crucifying the flesh and making the flesh dead. Last week we talked about how to live for God. And today we're going to read one verse. First uh, first, yeah, first Colossians, the only Colossians, <laughs> chapter 3, verse 17. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So I just want to look at this for a moment. It says, whatever you do in word or deed, and it doesn't say just the good stuff that we do or just the bad stuff. We said in everything we do, in word or in deed. You know, Christians are supposed to be recognized by the world as somebody who's different. Uh, you know, how many people have you met and you've known them for years and all of a sudden they'll tell you, well, I'm a Christian and you're going, really? <laughs> you know, hopefully that's not your testimony in front of people. Yeah, that doesn't mean everybody you meet, you go, oh, you know Jesus. But you know, there should be something about us as a Christian that says this person is different. It will be in the things we say. You know, when you're with people, do you speak the same words that they do, make the same criticisms they do, you know, gripe about the same things, talk about the same off-colored uh, uh, jokes or movies or TV shows, or do you stand for something? People, when they look at you, say, well, you know, I've heard this. Well, I'm going to tell this joke, and you're probably not going to like it. I go, let me go someplace else, then, because you're probably right. <laughs> I'm not going to like it most in most cases. Why? Because I have a Christian worldview and a stand. I want to follow God. You know, how many little sacrifices do we make in our walk with God so that people will like us? <laughs> Or tolerate us. You know, I, you know, and I'm not saying go out and be obnoxious to people and make them really hate you because of Christianity. That's not the way you're going to reach them. But they also should know you're different. You're not going to find the same things they find funny. You're not going to be wanting to go to the same shows. You're not going to want to go to the bar after work and have a few drinks with them just so you can be sociable with them and maybe be able to preach the gospel to them. Because all they're going to remember is that this Christian drank. You know, they're not going to remember that you gave them the gospel. You know, we need to be accountable. What are our words? How do we act? You know, I've shared with people at times, you know, and even at the prison, many times people will come up to me and go, why do you smile all the time? I love getting that question because I get to tell them about God. I don't think I smile all the time, but obviously I smile enough that people think it's all the time. But, you know, they're going, Why? Why are you different? You're not in here griping about this, that, or the other thing. And believe me, there are plenty of things to gripe about. They all gripe about everything. You know, it's amazing to me how many people are never happy. Never. You, know, you give them what they said they wanted last week, and they're still not happy. You know, we as Christians should be giving thanks for what we have. God is good all the time. You know, all the time he's good. We may not recognize it as being good, 
But you know what? The problem is that we don't know everything. God knows what's coming. He knows what's coming next week, 10 years from now, 20 years from now. He knows what's coming in eternity. So he knows what's for good. He knows what is for our blessing. We look at it and say, God, this is a miserable, terrible thing you're doing to me. You know, I don't like going through everything you're doing. And God says, you will 10 years from now. How many times have you looked back on a situation and you remember it as something that made you grow? You know, there is no real growth without pain and suffering. It's those times when we have pain and suffering, we have to depend on God to be our deliverance. In all things, we're to give him, we're to do following him. I was listening to a message this morning on the way here, and the guy was talking about how often God gives us dark times. And he went through the scriptures. He went through several scriptures to talk about God brought darkness on somebody so they would lean on him. If we don't lean on God, we have no strength when times get hard. And believe me, if you don't pass the lessons early on, you don't want to take the high school and college lessons if you don't pass the elementary school lessons. You know, uh, and I, you know, I like math, as you all know, and my example is, you know, for a kindergartner, you know, just having them count can be a big deal. You know, first or second grade, you know, just you give them addition and subtraction questions, and it's a big deal. What if you asked a high school student, I want you to count to 10. <laughs> They'd look at you like, are you insane? Uh, I've counted since the 10 since before I went to school. That is the way God is with us. He makes our test keep getting harder and harder as we mature. I don't want to make you unsad, but it's, it, it is a good thing. He will continue to give us new tests. And each test, if we had it at the beginning, would be a pain, you know, we wouldn't pass it. But each test is just slightly harder, and slight, the next one will be slightly harder than that one. And the next one will be slightly harder. You would have failed it at the beginning if you had it. But as you've grown, you're ready. And it says that we, whatever we do and say. Now, how many of us have a hard time with words? <laughs> Don't raise your hands. <laughs> because we all do. <laughs> how many times have we said something that we, even as we're saying it, we wish we could take back? You know, God tells us we're going to be accountable for every idle word we speak. All those words that you spoke that didn't have a thought behind them, you know, God's going to say, why? Now, the good news for us as Christians, we confess it, put it under the blood, it's covered. Doesn't mean there's not going to be consequence. We've talked about this several times. Sin has consequence. Always. <laughs> Always has consequence. If you say something harsh to somebody, even if they forgive you and you immediately ask for forgiveness and they do forgive you, that's caused a pain in their heart that is going to be hard to get over. And it's going to cause a problem with you too because now you've got to think about everything you say <laughs> to that person. Sin always has consequences. In everything we do, on Mount Sinai, God told the people of Israel as he gave, gave them the laws, that you're to do all the law. You know, we're to obey his law. Now, that does mean, not mean, as Christians, we've shared this, the law is not bad. The law is good. We are not under the law. We don't follow God's rules to impress him. We don't follow his rules to say, God, here's all my good marks. You know, I've been, I've been really good. 
We follow his law because he lives in us and he changes who we are. And we follow his laws just because he changes us. In all our actions, we do for him. And then this next little phrase, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, how many people, if you've been around churches long enough, you'll hear somebody almost always say, at the end of their prayer, in the name of Jesus, we pray these things or something of that nature. Now, just saying that it's in Jesus' name does not mean that the prayer was in Jesus' name. His name literally gives you all the reputation of the person whose name you're using. And this is very important for us to consider. Jesus has a reputation that he has, wants us to obey. He saved us. He is our Savior. He's our Lord. He has all power. Do you realize how powerful a name can be? When we send ambassadors from a country, they go to that country in the name of the country they're representing. So if we as an American country send people to another country, they are in there in the name of America. Everything they do or don't do is a reflection of the country. And you, you read it all the time, this, uh, this ambassador has been expelled because they did something that brought shame to their country, and they are sent back home. We are ambassadors for Christ. We represent his name. How do we live in this world? Are we lifting up Jesus, or are we being part of the world? Most of us spend a lot of our time being part of the world. You know, in a lot of areas of our life. Some of us do a better job at being a better ambassador for him. A lot of it comes with maturity. We learn to be obedient. And I've said this, you know, when we look at our life, are we more like Christ today than we were last year, five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago? If your answer is no, you're not more like Christ today than you were in the past, you might not need to look at your life and say, do I know God? God, am I one of your children? Are you cleaning up my life to make me more like you? If you're saying, yes, I'm, I am more like God today than I was 10 years ago, you're on the right path. And any one of us are going to grow at a different speed. You know, and this is something we have to be very careful of in the church, that we don't judge somebody and say, well, why aren't you at this place? Well, because I started six months ago, and you've been, there, you've been doing it for 40 years. But yet, as a church, we oftentimes will judge people and say, you know, well, you're just not growing very fast. Well, they're probably growing at just the speed God's asking them to, to, to grow and that they're capable of. The, the question is, are they growing? If they're growing, that's what we want to be looking at. Is this person more like God? Are they more forgiving, more loving, more desiring to be with God's people than they were in the past? As long as they're growing, praise God. Praise God that they're growing. Because none of us are going to get there until we die and God glorifies us and makes us who he says we are. He says we're perfect. We've talked about this. When you are saved, when you become a Christian, God says from the judicial court of room of heaven, because you've accepted Jesus Christ's righteousness, you are perfect. I love the fact that Jesus sees us as perfect. God the Father sees us as perfect. Now, he knows we're not perfect. 
But from a judicial decree, he says, my son paid the price. Your sins are under the blood. You are perfect. Now, do we see God that way? Do you see God as the loving father who sees you as a perfect child? You know, most people that I talk to that aren't Christians, aren't, aren't well taught in the Bible, they see God up there with a great big baseball bat waiting for you to do something wrong so he can pound you over the head. I don't know about you all, but I don't want a God like that. <laughs> I'm not going to go show up in the courtroom of heaven to a God who's waiting to pound me over the head with a baseball bat or throw lightning bolts or whatever vision you have of it. I, I've showed you know, a lot of people have a picture of God playing whack-a-mole. Somebody sticks their head up and he hits him with the hammer. That's not God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He loves his creation. He wants his creation to feel comfortable coming to him. We can only do it through the blood of Jesus Christ. But he is standing there saying, I love you. His arms are wide open. To the sinner who comes to Christ, he says, welcome, son. Welcome, daughter. I've been waiting for you to return. And he wraps us up in his love. He puts, in, he puts the clothing of righteousness of Jesus Christ on us. And he says, you are welcome because I love my creation. Can you understand the difference on that? If you know that God loves you and is wanting to spend time with you, where are you going to go when you have a problem? You're going to run to him. <laughs> you know, uh, hey, Dad, I need help. <laughs> you know, sometimes we wish our kids didn't do that for us. But, <laughs> but you know, God's unlimited patience, unlimited power, unlimited resources. He's saying, I want you to come to me. When you have a problem, when you have fallen into sin, turn and return to God. Over the years, I've seen more people, when they get into sin, the first thing they do is stop coming to church. That's the exact opposite thing that you should be doing as a Christian. When you have sin, you need other members in the body of Christ to gather around you and encourage you. Now, will everybody in the church encourage you? Of course not. We're a bunch of sinners ourselves. <laughs> but there's going to be people in the church that are going to encourage you. And say, you are loved and God loves you. Let's help you get back, get back the direction you're supposed to be in. We need to be able to understand God loves us. Now, that love does not mean there's no punishment. Okay? Our world likes to go today and say, well, God is love. He would never send anybody to hell. Well, sorry, people, that is not love. The example I use, if you have a child and they're out in the middle uh, playing out in the interstate, you're not going to say, okay, child, I love you so much. Go play, go play out with those trucks going 80 miles an hour. You know, I just love you. You can go out there. And, and when you die, it's, you know, I loved you. <laughs> no, that's not even love. And that's not God's love for us. He loves us so much, he's going to stop us from playing on the interstate. And every other place is going to have the same consequence to us. How many people in this world try to figure out how close can I get to the sin and not sin? Believe me, I've heard it many times over the years, over the decades of talking to people. Well, how close can I get, you know, how much can I stretch the truth before I've lied? How close can we get to being in bed together and not having crossed the line into fornication or adultery? 
How close can I get to not going to church and still be okay? You know, if you're asking those questions, you're asking the wrong question from God. The question isn't, God, I, I just love this sin so much. How close can I get to it before I sin? It should be, how far can I stay away from this sin and not be able to fall into this sin? This is what's important for us. Where are we going to be with our relationship with God? Am I going to stay as far away from sin as possible? Or am I going to open the doors? How do we open the doors a lot of times? Sometimes it's through the movies and television shows we watch. We fill our mind with all kinds of garbage, and then we wonder where those responses come from when we fall into sin. You know, have you ever seen yourself act or say something, do or say something, and you wonder, how did this come into my mind? And you start thinking about it and go, well, that's what they do on this movie, this, this TV show that I watch every week. This is what they do in the, you know, this is what the group that I hang out with does. There is a time when we say, don't do those things. Stay far away from the sin. You know, you know we want to be careful because we will be known by the company we keep. We will be known by what we do and say. The memory verse we're working on. Whatever's in our heart comes out. You know, what is in your heart will come out. When you talk to people, what do you say? How do you respond to them? Are your words loving and sweet? It shows that you have a loving and sweet heart that's filled with, with God's word. If you're always angry and bitter with people, it shows you that you need to put some <laughs> loving and sweet words of God into your, into your being. Now, are we going to be perfect? No. I keep bringing that up. You know, I don't ever want people to think that you've got to be perfect in this walk. Because you will not be perfect. I will never be perfect. If you expect me to be perfect, you've got the wrong pastor. It's not going to happen. Matter of fact, any other church you go into, that pastor's not going to be perfect. We try. We try to listen to God. We study God's word. But you know, if you're looking for a perfect pastor, you better be looking at Jesus. And He's the only one that's going to be perfect, and you know what? He doesn't interact with you on a day-to-day -day basis. <laughs> you know, we, can, we can pray to him and everything on that, but he's not standing there on your shoulder, tapping you on the shoulder and saying you're going the wrong way because we don't usually listen to him. If you saw the PowerPoint up there, I have a quote from Tozier on there. It says, most Christians do not hear the voice of God because we've already decided we're not going to obey. <laughs> now think about that one. We don't hear God's word because we've already decided we're not going to listen to it anyway. You know, when you were a child or had, your, or had children, do you remember times when you listened to your parents, you knew exactly what they were going to say, you knew the exact uh, advice they were going to give you, and you already decided you didn't want to hear it, you were just hoping maybe they'd tell you something different that time? Or maybe your kids did that to you, they ask you the same question over and over again, hoping that someday you were going to give them a different piece of advice? We ignore God long enough, he's going to just stop giving us the advice. He's going to say, you've heard it, obey. Our job with God is to obey. Obey what he says. Obey what he has taught us. How does he teach us? He teaches us through the word, through the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. And he doesn't try to say, I want you to be perfect overnight. Now, if any of you have ever tried to train somebody, uh, I've had somebody train, and they, they had an expectation that somebody was going to be perfect within 24 hours of learning the job. And I looked at that person, and I'm going, you are absolutely insane. <laughs> well, I can do it. I go, yeah, and how long have you been doing it? 
Now, we need to be careful about our expectations of other people because they are never going to meet our expectations probably unless your expectations are so low that anybody can. But we want to be very careful about this. I have a great expectation that I've shared with you. Every one of us is our sinners, and I'm not surprised when sinners sin. <laughs> okay? That's my expectation. I expect people to sin. Now, I expect Christians to sin, unfortunately, and I'm a little more sad when Christians sin, but I'm not surprised when a Christian sins because I sin. <laughs> I have the same problem as everybody else in this room. I sin. I will not meet other people's expectations at times. Be careful of your expectations of people because expectations are where you're going to be really hurt. They didn't do this. They didn't say this. They didn't show up at this meeting. They didn't show up at this thing. You know, I, I have lots of Bible studies every week. You know what? I don't expect everybody to show up at every single one of those Bible studies. I plan to be there. <laughs> but you know, if people are, great. If they're not, that's between them and God. Because we have lives. We have other things we have to do. Now, what are our expectations for other Christians? You know, we need to be very careful of those. You know, we want to come to church and be loved on and, and accepted for our beliefs. And we should be. That is the purpose of the church, is to love on people, edify, and build up. But as I said earlier, not everybody in the church is going to do that. Even the person that normally does it might have a bad day that day that you really need it and not meet your expectation. Be very careful about how you're going to respond to these, to these things. All our hope and expectation needs to be on Jesus. He's the only one that won't fail us. And we need to be able to look to him, but we also look to the body of Christ. But you know, our job is also to build up and edify others. Don't be one that is always needing to be built up and edified. Go to others and help them. But in the name of Christ, we do these things. And then it says, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. How thankful are we? You know, uh, I looked it up in that saying, giving thanks was in the scriptures 69 times <laughs> to give thanks. Think about this. Are we a thankful people as Christians? Do we give thanks? You know, in, the, in the Psalms, it says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You know, and yet, most of the time, we'll look at somebody and die, and we'll be sad for a long time. And, and we should be sad. We've lost them. But we should also be very happy, if they're, especially if they're a Christian, they went home. We sang, the, we sang the song, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. God has made great promises to us of great blessings because of Jesus Christ. Because of Jesus for by grace are we saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. When we get to heaven, we're not going to stand up and, go and say, God, God, I've got these 28 million things I did. Let me into heaven. If you try that, he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You've got a place in hell. You stand before him and say, the blood of Jesus Christ is what I have. He's going to say, welcome. By grace. The only things we will be rewarded for are what we allow him to do through us. He works through us, and we get rewarded. If we stand up there and say, God, look what I've done, God says, nope, not worth anything. 
Isaiah 63 says, filthy rags. All your righteousness is filthy rags. Does that mean righteous actions are bad or, or no good? Absolutely not. We've told you there's consequences. Sin has consequences. Good have consequences. We like to call them rewards. Uh, good has rewards. But you know that's just a good consequence? Everything we do has a consequence, whether it's good or bad. Sometimes God will step in supernaturally and say, okay, I'm going to stop this consequence. Don't count on it. It's very rare. He usually says, you did something, enjoy your consequences, good or bad. Because he says, I have rules, and these rules have a reason to be there. And his laws are, are important. You know, the Ten Commandments, have you thought about the Ten Commandments you know, very much? Probably not. We don't usually think too much about them. You know, we got the obvious ones, don't murder, don't steal, don't lie. But you know, have you ever thought about, I love number 10. 10 is actually my favorite because everybody violates number 10. You shall not covet. All of us want something that belongs to somebody else. God put that little one in the other. Sometimes if he'd left that one out, people might have been able to live a good life because they could have, you know, the other ones are somewhat easy to obey. But you shall not covet. It's a guaranteed one that we're all going to want something that somebody else has. We're going to be envious of somebody that has something and want what they have. God says there's rules. He's put these rules in there. Have you ever had somebody, even a good friend, get something that you felt they didn't deserve or that you deserved more than they did? Especially in the workplace, somebody gets promoted. They were your good friend, they got promoted, and now you're mad at them because they got the job that you wanted. Doesn't matter whether they deserved it or not deserved it. It is, I wanted that job, you got it, now I'm mad at you. <laughs> Coveting. You know, we need to be thankful. Thankful for what God gives us. Thank you for what it gives other people. If you live in a life of thankfulness, a lot of your problems go away. <laughs> a lot of your problems will go away. God, I am thankful. I have an 80-year-old car, but it runs. <laughs> I'm thankful. You know, my problem is because sometimes you could have a 10-year-old car that's not running very well. You'd be better off with an 80-year-old car that runs. Yeah. But how often have you changed something to get something better and wished you had your old one back? Cars are a great example a lot of times because people end up getting a lemon or something and, or an older car that doesn't run as good as the one they had and they spend just as much money on the new car as they did on the old one. We need to be careful. Yeah. Be careful what you wish for as the old adage goes. Yeah. Are we thankful for the things God has given us? Are we thankful for the God is in control? I love the fact that God is in control because no matter what happens to me, God is in control and I can be thankful. Am I always thankful? No, but I am more often than not because I understand he's in control. He is in control. Whatever comes my way, he's in control of. Do you understand the peace that that gives you? I hope so. God, you're in control. And we've said this over and over. You'll never hear God say, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. You'll never hear him say that. <laughs> he already knows it's going to happen. We look at Job. Job lost everything in a period of a week, you know, including his health. And God wasn't saying, saying, sitting up there in heaven, oh, geez, I didn't know Satan was going to do that much to him. 
He'd given Satan permission to do each part that he had done. He knew exactly what was going to happen, and he knew why he was doing it. Job didn't understand. We do because we read the first two chapters. <laughs> Job didn't know what was going on. Probably wouldn't have done him any good if he had not read the first two chapters. All he knew is he was miserable. Yeah. All of his kids were dead. He'd lost all of his wealth. And his wife told him, curse God and get it over, you know, get it over with. You know, great comfort there. Then he has three friends that come along and tell him, you're really bad. You must really be bad you to get all this bad stuff happening to you. They hadn't read chapter 1 or 2 either. Then you had this fourth young man stand up and kind of get into his face about what, you know, how bad he was. And then when he starts griping and agreeing with all those people that are keep telling him how bad he is, God steps in and kind of slaps him around a little bit and says, and then gives him all the rewards because he had started to fail the, fail the test. When we're in the middle of these tests, we need to look to God and say, God, you know, my, my favorite say, statement I've told you is, I don't know why you're doing this, but you've promised it's for good and you're in control. You know, once you get to that point, it doesn't really matter what happens to you. God, if you want to take me home, I'm ready to go home. That's an easy statement. God, let me go home. <laughs> you know, don't, don't take away all that I own and all my kids and all, and all my health. You know, that, that's tough. That means you have to continue beyond those places. And yet, God, when he's ready, will take you home. But other than that, he'll bring you to whatever place. But, you know, with Job, have you ever thought about how strong a man of God Job must have been to have a test that hard? For him to be tested that hard meant, meant that he was following God with all of his heart. God, I've, I haven't met very many people, if anybody, that's ever been tested the way Job has. But then again, I've also not met as many men that would have been in a place that could have said, I'm going to trust God no matter what. Very important. Where are our eyes focused on when we go through these things? Are we focused on God or are we focused on the problem? The flip side of this, sometimes we get our eyes on God's blessings and rewards and forget about God. Our intention needs to be on God always. Not the blessings that we think we have or even the curses that we think we have. Our eyes need to be on God. And if our eyes stay focused on him, we're going to have a pretty easy life, actually. If you can stay focused on him, you'll have an easy life. Peter on the boat says, Jesus, if that's you, call me out. And he walked out on the water into the middle of the storm. And it wasn't until he looked at this, took his eyes off Jesus and looked at the storm that he had a problem. As soon as he took his eyes off Jesus and looked at the storm, he goes, I can't walk on water. <laughs> and he started sinking. He at least knew where to look. He learned, put his eyes back on Jesus and said, help. And Jesus lifted him up. When you take your eyes off God, do not forget to put them back on God quickly and ask for help. Because the storm will overwhelm you. We're going we're to end here and just want to encourage us. Let's look at what we're doing. Are we doing all for Christ? Are we living in his name and his power? And are we a thankful people? Learn to be thankful. It'll set you apart from the rest of the world. You know, and think about all the friends that you've ever hung out with that are, are bitter and angry and un, you know, griping all the time. How do you feel when you're around them? You usually end up being just like them, starting to gripe and complain and, and grumble. We want to be careful of that. 
Let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity we have to look at your word. Lord, if there's anyone in this room that doesn't know you as their Savior, we ask them right today, Lord, that they will confess that they are a sinner, that they deserve punishment, and call on your name as for forgiveness and become your child. Lord, for all those that are in this church, we ask that you just convict and help us to live a more thankful life. Help us keep our eyes focused on you and all that we do and say. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.